Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Everybody, this is Courtney, and I just want to say thank you for listening to In Doubt. On this week's episode, we're talking with David Mathis, who we've had as a guest before, but that was about three years ago, and it's great to welcome him back again. David is a pastor, and he's the author of the book Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And what we're doing today is really taking a look at some spiritual disciplines that will help us to build better habits that will benefit our lifelong relationship with God. So we'll be talking through what it means to hear God's voice, through reading the word, through prayer, and through fellowship. In the middle of this global pandemic, we're all being put in such an interesting place. And it's easy to question the importance of reading your Bible or prayer or fellowship when there's so much change and uncertainty. But as you'll hear, David and Isaac both acknowledge that the hardest times are often the best times to grow and to become stronger in your faith. So in saying that, I hope that you're encouraged by this episode with Isaac and David Mathis. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Isaac, one of the In Doubt hosts, and with me today on the show is author, pastor, and executive editor for DesiringGod.org, David Mathis. Thanks for being on the show again. Isaac, what an honor to be back with you. Yeah, it's it's been almost three years ago now that we had you on the show, um, and I, as I was looking at the transcript, just very just just a few minutes ago, I was looking at the transcript, and you mentioned almost three years ago that your wife was thirty five weeks pregnant. So um, you you have like a a three year old. That's right. Yeah, baby Mercy uh, will be three years old on April tenth. So just just around the corner here from the time where we're. Uh, we're recording, so it really is right at three years. That that's awesome. Well, that's that's great. And Mercy is her name. That's right. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Um, f- for our new listeners, David, and for others who may need a reminder because it has been three years, can you just kind of fill us in a little bit about who you are as a person, and also just weave into that uh, how you came to know Jesus? That would be a, a joy. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a Christian, and then probably second is I'm a husband to Megan. We've been married almost 13 years. I'm a father of four. We have twin boys who will be 10 years old this summer, and a daughter, Gloria, who is five and a half, and then baby Mercy, as I just mentioned, who's almost three, but still a baby <laughs> in our hearts as her parents. We love her as our as our baby girl, even though she's walking and talking and is amazing. Um, I'm one of eight pastors at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We uh, are five years old now, just had our fifth anniversary in January. We were planted at a Bethlehem Baptist in January of 2015 with uh, four of us uh, original kind of founding pastors. We've added four in the meantime and have a congregation of about 300 members and uh, 400, 450 or so on Sunday mornings uh, in our worship time together, <laughs> previous worship time. And we're all bunkered down now here during this uh, corona crisis. Um, growing up, I, I grew up in a, I have Christian parents. Uh, it is a priceless gift to have Christian parents who love and trust the Bible. And I grew up in church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and my parents and home church put all sorts of kindling in place for my faith. 
And whether God first lit that kindling or he just blew on it <laughs> and blew a flame on it, uh, like never before my freshman year at Furman University, I'm, I'm not sure which, uh, but everything changed for me my freshman year. I, I, I went from, uh, looking back on it, being very much more of a natural person in high school. I loved baseball. I was at church. I would have told you I love church, but boy, baseball really ran my life, and I was just more of a, a natural person, and, I, and and things really changed for me freshman year. Uh, Christ became a passion, a joy, a treasure like never before. I Probably, I think it'd be fair to say I had a very duty-oriented Christianity, and uh, the flame of joy was really lit in a clear way freshman year, probably the spring term of my freshman year in being discipled by a, an older student, a junior at Furman, who was uh, investing in my life and then leading us through a study of a book called Desiring God by this guy named John Piper, who I didn't want to read because he wasn't a Southern Baptist, but I agreed because I'm only part of this small group. And uh, that was significant in turning my life around in, a, in kind of a different orientation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so cool. I was going I was waiting for you maybe to say what it was in your freshman year there that that brought you that, that lit the flame of joy and and you brought up discipleship and I know we're not talking about necessarily discipleship primarily on this conversation but um just to hear you say that it excites me. Um that discipleship and the importance of uh, you know older maybe Christians uh pouring into and investing in younger Christians is just so essential and you're you're a fruit of that. That's right. I, I love talking about disciple making. Very happy to do so here or anytime soon if you'd like to talk about disciple making. It's not irrelevant to the book. There is a there's a chapter in the the last section called the Coda about the Great Commission, and that's very much about disciple making and how disciple making is a means of grace not just to the disciple, so to speak, but to the one who's doing the investing. And disciple making is very much a two way street. And God is often pleased to do major work, perhaps even more significant work in the life of the discipler as that person invests in one or a few uh, younger Christians in the faith. That's so good. Well, let's let's definitely plan to have that conversation. That'd be so good. Um, but you, you mentioned your book. So a few years ago now, uh, you wrote a book called Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. So um, again, for those that maybe this is completely new to them, they're new listeners, and, and this is just, yeah, new to them, you and the book are new. Um, to set us in motion for this conversation, David, can you just give us a brief summary synopsis of what you were hoping to accomplish? Like, what was the point of this book? Yeah, I, uh, I want to be contagiously helpful <laughs> with other people, uh, for other people, about uh, my greatest joy being in Jesus. I want others to find him to be their great treasure. And so I, what I seek to do there is, in, in the book here, just share a few things I've learned along the way uh, about feeding and sustaining and shaping our souls through the means that God's given us to pursue his ongoing grace in the Christian life. So uh, I was in college ministry for several years, campus outreach, and have done some teaching of college students through Bethlehem College and Seminary. And this just kind of came up over and over again. I was assigned to talk about the spiritual disciplines. And uh, I found the spiritual disciplines in, in my walk to be very life-giving and, uh, and not a duty, but very much a joy that would feed my soul, sustain my soul, contribute to a kind of spiritual and life thriving. And, and what are the channels? If Christ is our greatest treasure, how are we going to pursue him? Like out in the woods, random events, spontaneously? Uh, what, is, what steps are there that we can take? What, what has God given us? What kind of dignity has he given us as his creatures? 
and as the redeemed to pursue as we seek after him. Oh God, you are my God, Psalm 63. Humbly I seek you. What does it look like to seek him? And so that's what the what the book is about as we as we talk about habits of grace. You know, I thinking about this, David, like we as humans naturally uh, do uh, what will bring us pleasure. Uh, this is the way that we're created. Um, and, and you're talking about, you know, you want to find joy in God and you're providing just a way for people to know how they can kindle that joy and bring about that joy. Except, you know, you call your book Habits of Grace and, and a habit is something that you have to, to learn and, and discipline yourself to do. Um, so why would you call it Habits of Grace rather than just, um, you know, things you can do to, to create more joy with God? <laughs> Yeah, good question. Um, in one sense, it is that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Things you can do. You know, what are the God-given paths? Uh, so if, so for instance, uh, Zacchaeus wants to have an encounter with Jesus, does he just go walk around in the wilderness? Or does he hear which way Jesus will be passing? And he goes and positions himself in a tree, <laughs> but he positions himself along the way Jesus is passing. Or the blind man, Bartimaeus. Uh, how does he have an encounter with Jesus in which his sight is restored? He doesn't just walk around aimlessly uh, throughout Galilee. He goes to a spot. He hears Jesus is passing this way, and he positions himself along the path of grace. And so that's very much what I'm trying to get at. Uh, that that's uh, Habit is language that is very much in vogue in recent generation. There's been a lot in a lot of discoveries related to neuroscience and various habits that, and how much we— Humans are creatures of habit, which is no new truth. That goes way back to uh, philosophers and theologians who have uh, recognized and observed uh, for centuries how how much we're creatures of habit. But there's some new focus on that. And there's some ways in which, as we learn more about the brain, how habits are created and reinforced and rewarded. And so I want to draw on some of that in some very thin and limited ways. And then maybe, and then mainly talk about these ancient paths, habit. That the idea of habit is not new for Christians, and uh, and how can we how can we learn from some of these these ancient remedies as to uh, as to the way that the people in God's church have have found depth and sustenance for their souls for centuries. Yeah, that, that's so good. Uh, you know, if, if some people are a little bit familiar with um, the study of spiritual disciplines, they might uh, know or have heard of Donald Whitney's book, Richard Foster's book, or, or other books. Um, and they have many, many, many. And you kind of say in your in your preface that you, you're not going to list just a handful of made like all these disciplines, but you home in on these three general principles: um, hearing God's voice, kind of talking about the Word of God, and prayer, and then your your fellowship, your corporate church life. So, I. I'd, I'd like to take some time just kind of walking through each of these just to give uh, myself and our listeners just a just a, a snapshot of what you kind of mean by these. So maybe if, if, let's start with the word. What do you mean by, you know, hearing um, God's voice? Because I know that if, if someone searches how to hear God's voice on Google, they are going to get so much, right, obviously. So what is it to hear God's voice in relation to this idea of habits of habits of grace? By hearing his voice, I mean hearing his voice in his word, in the scripture, by the power of the Spirit. So uh, don't see this as a, as a dead letter. This is a, this is the, the Holy Spirit is alive, and he loves to make God's written, objective, external words come to life in the heart and mind of the believer. So uh, the, I, the, the encouragement to hear God's voice 
is an encouragement to saturate our lives in the scriptures, whether that's through reading, through study, through meditation, through listening with these little devices we carry around with us who that offer us amazing possibilities for hearing God's word read in a way that hasn't been uh, the case as much in, in recent modern life, hearing God's word preached. And so uh, what we, the, the emphasis there is on hearing God's voice in his word. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I don't think that's the voice you hear in the woods. I don't think that's the voice you hear in your head. I think the voices in your head are from you, <laughs> probably not from God. If you want to hear God speak, uh, go to the amazing book he gave us, which we should never be bored with this book. He made it big enough that we will not come close to exhausting this in one human lifetime. And he means for us to engage that book by his spirit. And so he is the God who is speaking, not only has spoken, he is the God who is speaking and do, does so through his word by the power of his spirit. You know, David, I'm just thinking if someone's just listening to this uh, this uh, podcast right now, this episode, and maybe they're, they're totally new um, to Christianity, and when you say that we can hear God's fresh, real, living voice in this ancient book, they only have maybe the idea of the Bible that the Simpsons has promoted, let's say. Uh, it's old, dead, blah. Can you just give a, just a very short, I'm not asking for a big theological thing, but just a very short, like, what do we see in in the Bible? Is it just historical, like, boring, like, narrative? Like, what what is, what do we, what do we see in the Bible? The, uh, the the Bible, first and foremost, is a collection of books. So it's kind of a library in your hand. It's 66 books. 39 of them came from Moses, the great prophet, the first great prophet, and the chroniclers of history and prophets throughout the Old Testament who testified to God's ongoing work in revealing himself to this people called Israel. And that led up to God himself coming in the person of his son, fully God, fully human, in the person of Christ, who is God's Word, capital W. Long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke through the prophets, the Old Testament. But in these last days, Hebrews 1 says, He has spoken to us in His Son. So Jesus Himself is the capital W Word. He is God's Word to us. If you were to ask, what is it that God says to humanity? One answer would be, He says Jesus. And He says Jesus so fully that He embodies this message, this revelation, in a person that is His own self in the person of His Son, namely this Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man. So Jesus is the capital W word. And then Jesus uh, didn't leave us without written witness through his apostles. He had specially appointed spokesmen called the apostles that give us the 27 books of the New Testament. So uh, the Bible is rich with various genres. A third of the Bible is poetry. And there are stories, some of the best stories in the history of the world. And humans throughout time have found this the most, in, in general, the most compelling of all books. The Bible has been copied and printed and distributed in ways that far surpass any other book in the history of humanity. And so if the Bible's boring, <laughs> even apart from being born again, there's a problem with you if the Bible's boring. And then all the more, if you claim to have your eyes opened by Christ, if you claim to love him and know him, uh, the Bible is just a banquet for a soul that is hungry for the true God. And that doesn't mean that day one we understand it all or most of it all. It is, it's a lifelong kind of project, and there is a joy to be found and cultivated, and God has given the church a wealth of Christian teachers to help along those lines. So, so don't, don't read it. Don't taste it once. 
and think that you've uh, had the whole meal. Uh, there's there's a lifetime of discovery and learning and tasting to do as you come to this library called the Bible. That's so good, uh, David. Now I'm I'm thinking of those listeners maybe that um, that do habitually read the Bible or even maybe not every day sometimes, but maybe every week and and they read it. But w- what are some disciplines that you talk about in your book that they can apply uh, when? And, you know, when maybe their Bible reading isn't really doing anything for them, so maybe they expect this very mystical thing to happen in their hearts and their minds. But if they're reading and they're just not really getting it, what are some things that you talk about in your book that can help them uh, sort of kindle this flame of, of joy in Christ? Well, if I could focus it on one thing, I'd, I'd focus on what we call meditation. And by meditation, I'm talking about Christian meditation, not Eastern meditation where the goal is to like empty your mind uh christian meditation fills the mind with words from god but doesn't just let them pass through quickly like may happen in in typical reading meditation lingers meditation continues to think and ponder and chew on the content as modern readers we are so used to books that were written quickly to be read quickly this is not how it worked in the ancient world. They did not have the printing press. Uh, it was difficult to produce a book. It was difficult to write a book. And so uh, written books were given serious contemplation, great care with every stroke, every jot and tittle. It's very carefully recorded. And they were meant to be heard and reheard and thought on and meditated on. So the Bible is a book written by people who meditated. They just read fast. <laughs> they read slowly, and they reread and reread and reread. And those kind of people produced a book for the world to be read slowly and heard and reheard and be pondered. So sometimes I'll, I'll encourage people to, uh, to think in terms of reading and study and meditation. Uh, there, there's a place for reading, for reading for breadth. Uh, a lot of times off, we don't sit down long enough with the Bible to just, just say to sit in front of First Chronicles and read the whole thing. Or sit down with the book of Romans and read start to finish, or the book of Hebrews, or, or even a gospel. I mean, these, these were originally like <laughs> motion pictures of, of the day where, where they would hear the whole thing read at once. When Paul's letter to the Romans arrived in Rome, they didn't say, oh, stop after chapter 1 as it was read to them. The whole book of Romans was read to them. So we could do better, a lot of us, in reading the Bible more often for breath, just to sit down for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, maybe even an hour and a half, and just just read, just to to cover and see how big themes relate to each other. Um, The author to the Hebrews, as well as throughout the New Testament, they mean for us as we as we read and hear the last chapter, to still have in our recent memory what they said in the first chapter. And so that can be helped by it. But then also, because so much time has passed, these are ancient documents. We live in a very different world with automobiles and computers and smartphones. We need to do some serious study to get ourselves into a position to understand better what we're reading. It's one of the reasons the Bible is a lifelong project, among others. Uh, so not just reading, but study. And study would be a time where you you slow down. Maybe you, uh, if it's if it's like if reading is like watching a a movie in real time, study would be like going into slow motion, maybe. And you can ask questions about the scene and how it relates to other circumstances. And and you want to cultivate a kind of 
faithful curiosity to ask questions. When you read a statement or read a word or a phrase and you're not quite sure what that means, what the author means to communicate, to have a time to pause and ask. Uh, God's Word rewards good questions. It is very much worth asking the hard questions. Don't fear your hard questions. God is not threatened by your hard questions. Ask them and go looking for answers and consult teachers and ask friends and see if you can find answers to those questions. And then a third level past reading study would be meditation. Meditation, if, if, if study is like the, is a slow motion, maybe meditation is like freeze frame where you just come to a word, come to a phrase in context, and let the truth of it press down into your heart. Linger over that statement. Let that reality uh, sit on the tongue of your mind, so to speak. Have you, try, see if, you, if your heart can be moved by it, not just have the data flow quickly through your head. And I, I don't think this is a process that everyone needs to go through every day. Like you read first, and all right, now I'm going to have a study season, then I have a meditation season. For me, the way it typically works in just daily Bible intake is I, I begin with reading. And while I'm reading, I'm reading in an I'm trying to try my best to read in a, a leisurely, unhurried way. I, I want to understand the author. I'm not trying to get through this chapter and check a box. I want to understand what God is saying to the world and to me right here in that day's assignment. I like go through a Bible reading plan that has assignments for each day of the year. That way I'm groggy in the morning. I just open up my plan and go right to the place I've been, to I've been told to read. I don't need to make a, new, uh, make a new assignment for the day. So then as I read, I am on the lookout for a place where I can camp, set up shop, meditate. So on a daily basis, I'm not, I'm not looking to do a lot of study. I don't think of my morning reading as Bible study. I do that another time. In the morning, I'm, I'm simply wanting to take in what God's Word is saying and then find a place to linger and meditate. And then uh, in going from, from Bible reading into meditation, I'm taking a few moments there where I'm lingering over that, and I want to apply it to myself. I want to feel, if God would be pleased, the weight and significance of this text, not just treat it as information, but ask God, ask God if you do the work of transformation on me, in me, and then let that be a natural uh, a natural process going into prayer, to move to prayer from what I've lingered over, what I've meditated on. Let that be the inspiration for that day's prayer rather than just defaulting to a list. Yeah, well, let's let's do that. That's a perfect transition. And, and I, I enjoyed that. That's so good. And uh, I, I hope all of us actually apply that meditation part more because uh, we're just so used to reading and then that's it, you know, but actually allowing it to affect us is essential. But you move on to prayer here. So uh, you did talk about this idea of just a list. So that's kind of the stereotypical um, and pretty much the way that many of us uh, conceive of, of prayers, a shopping list of things that we that we need. Healing, you know, grandma's back and praying for this, praying for that. But maybe a question would be like, what what is it to be? be someone who prays to God, like what is prayer? Um, because it, is, it, is it not just, is it just petitions or is there something more going on and, and what can we do to help ourselves grow in a, in a healthy prayer life? Yeah, I, I do, as you mentioned, uh, I do love talking about prayer as the gift of having God's ear. And I think this is such an amazing thing that the creator of the universe not only has spoken, I mean, that is 
unbelievable grace that God has revealed himself to us. We, we are not owed that. But this creator not only speaks to us in his word, he also pauses and wants to hear back from us. So the amazing reality of prayer is because of Jesus, because of who Christ is, what he's accomplished for us, because he rose and ascended and as glorified humanity sits in God's presence on the very throne of the universe, interceding for us, we have access to God in prayer. God hears us. He's attentive to our words. And it, it, it's a remarkable thing that, that we have God's ear anytime, any place in Jesus Christ. He wants to hear from us, and he will hear us in Christ if we ask him. And a, a really important thing there is thinking of prayer as responding back to him means that prayer is not our initiative. Prayer is something that uh, in where in which we respond to God. He's the one who initiates. He speaks first. He's creator, we're creature. He's redeemer, we're redeemed. He speaks first in his word. And then we respond in prayer. To pray to God is to do so on the basis of some presumed or assumed knowledge of him. All the better if that knowledge is explicit and if it's fresh. I, I've, I've been in so many... Uh, Bible studies and groups over the years where a casual way of talking about who wants to start the prayer time is saying, hey, anybody want to dial up? You know, who wants to dial up? And, uh, I, you know, I give what that means. I'm not criticizing that necessarily. Uh, but theologically, prayer is not dialing up God. Uh, the Bible is God dialing up us. <laughs> and in prayer, we're already on the line. Like he's spoken first. And in prayer, he wants to hear from us in view of what he said to us in his word, which is, the, which is why the Bible is the best guide for prayer in the world, uh, not just to pray back to God what he said to us precisely, but also in a paraphrase, like in, in terms of the substance or the content of what God has said in his word, that we should let that inspire our prayers, apply that to ourselves in prayer, to wife, to kids, to friends, to church, to nations, to unbelieving neighbors. And so uh, that, that one thing I, I do want to emphasize uh, for people about prayer, and the Puritans emphasize this very strongly, is that, that prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with God's Word, and prayer is in response to what He says. That's so good. And, and as you say that, and I'm just trying to think about this whole idea of kind of contrasting what you're saying with that the shopping list idea. And, you know, it, when we when we have a phone conversation, let's say, or just a face-to-face conversation with a good friend of ours, we, we're not just asking them to do things for us the whole time. You're, you're talking about your, your family. You're hearing them. You're responding to what they're saying. You're thanking them for what they've done. And it's it's an actual conversation. And uh, what, what you're saying was with the Word of God, I mean, He's done and said and promised all of these various things. And we get to respond and talk to him about those things. And of course, asking him things is part of that, but it's not all of it. And there's so much more. So I, I, I think that's great, David. Um, we are running short on time. So let me just, let's jump to the fellowship part, the kind of church life. And then I have a few other questions after that. So the other principle you have here is the idea of corporate worship. Worship life is a principle um, of a habit of grace. So, you know, we do live in an individualistic culture in, in the West here. So uh, this idea of living with community, worshiping with community 
it's kind of strange. It can be awkward. So maybe a way to ask this is just, can you inspire us from what you've learned, from what you've lived? Can you inspire us um, when it comes to this uh, discipline? I'm not, not sure if I can inspire <laughs> every or most listener, but I, I'll tell you what inspires me. Um, I have found in life and confirmed in the Bible that human relationships in this age are best when they're hardest. When times of conflict and uncertainty arise. So in particular, we're living in a very uncertain time, probably the most uncertain few weeks uh, at the at the national, international level of my life uh, here in, in early 2020. And Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. When we're leave, living in the easiest, most convenient, most comfortable times, we are not able to appreciate what God is offering us in our brother. <laughs> God means for our brothers, our sisters in this age to be for us particular means of grace when times are hardest and most difficult. And uh, so one thing I love reminding myself again and again in the most tricky relationships is the importance of sticking with it and being there for each other, to be the church for each other when times are hardest, to enjoy the hard edges of inconvenient, uncomfortable people and the bracing objective reality of commitment to one another when it's not simple and easy. And it's precisely at these times that shallow people bow out of relationships rather than going deep. And and our generation loves to talk a game about community and then on the ground, actual lived out commitments, very thin and shallow. Nobody wants to commit to community. Everybody wants to talk about community. <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's be different. There's a different vision biblically of being committed to be the church for each other, not mainly for the easy times, but for the hardest of times. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And you know what? There's so much, David, we could talk about, but I want to jump to the last question here. Um, we are, as you've already mentioned a few times now, um, at the time of this recording, um, our whole world globally is experiencing this pandemic. And in a time like this, and and this can also be stretched over to other times of great trial in the future or in the past, it, it, it can be easy or it might be easy for some people to think, you know, you know, David, there are way more important things to focus on right now than than the habits of grace, than than spiritual disciplines. Um, you know, we got this there's a pandemic going on. So how how would you respond pastorally to this? There are very few things more important right now than hearing God's voice in his word having his ear in prayer, and belonging to his body in the fellowship of the church. I, mean, I, I could just say one thing fresh out of Ephesians 3 that I said to our church this morning via video. <laughs> our, our, one of our little plans here during the, the pandemic is everybody's on lockdown, whether it's official uh, quarantine in other states or it's, uh, it's self-isolation and you know strong authoritative encouragement here in the state of Minnesota. Uh, we've been reading together one chapter a day, Paul's prison letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. We thought it would help put our isolation in context to think about Paul being in prison. And this is what, this is what happens when you read the Bible. You realize again and again that the things that feel so distressing or, or difficult or problematic in your life are also really brought into uh, a relative relationship 
with the difficulty and the depth of distress that people faced in biblical times. I mean, <laughs> which should be an encouraging, to, encouraging word to us. The Bible was not forged in easy days. The reason that we have these truths, when God revealed himself to the world and now to us through the scriptures, he did so in the hardest of times. This is when God shines out all the clearest and brightest with his word. So I, I pointed our people this morning to three concrete realities in Ephesians 3 that I think are really helpful for us in these particular times of self-isolation and the, the strangeness and uncertainty of these days. The first was the concrete words. And this is Habits of Grace. Paul says, when I write these things, when you read these things, you can discern my insight into the mysteries of Christ. So that amazing gift that Paul wrote down certain truths so that the church could have them today. This is, the, this is the glory of reading, the glory of God's written word. And for most of church history, people have not had their own personal copies and access to the entirety of the Bible. This is a, this is a, we're in the, the minority of church history to all have copies of God's word and to be self-isolating in a context in which the word of God is not locked outside. <laughs> we have it with us inside. We have the lifeline with us in our quarantine and self-isolation, and we can discern Paul's insight. We can discern God's truth through reading. So that's the first one was, was concrete words. Second then was the concrete people. Ephesians 3 talks about the church in spectacular terms, that it is through the church that God is revealing his glory to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, verse 10 of Ephesians 3. And then he says, to him be glory, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in verses 20 and 21. So uh, the glory of God is being revealed in the world through the Son of God and the people of God in the church. It, it is an amazing reality that God's put in our life. That's that third means of grace we talked about of a fellowship. And then finally, there's a, there's a concrete love there, uh, as Paul prays for them in Ephesians 3, that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they'd have the ability to, to understand the height, and depth, and breadth of God's love. And where is that? is on display in Christ. It's not ethereal. It's not subjective. It is demonstrated in history in that God demonstrated his love and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was the encouragement. I think that's, that's, the, that's the pastoral word I had for my people this morning, which is very related to habits of grace, concrete words, concrete people, concrete love in the gospel of Christ. And so maybe that would be helpful for some who would who would hear this in due course. Absolutely. And even though that was for your particular people at City's Church, I mean, that translates as biblical truth. So it translates to um, to all of God's people um, around this globe. So I, we do appreciate the work that you've done for that. And thank you for blessing us with that as well. Uh, David, that brings us to a close of this conversation. But obviously from this conversation, there's, you know, a dozen more that we could have. Um, so we'll be in contact more. But anyways, thank you so much for um, talking with us again, David. And we'll we'll connect with you soon again. Thank you, Isaac. It's a joy to talk about such important things. I personally love the image that David gave of how the Bible can be seen as a banquet for the soul who's hungry for the true God. So why would you only take bits and pieces when God's put so much before you? I mean, I can definitely say that I sometimes find myself in that place, deciding what I need, how long I need it for, and not letting God be the one in control or in the lead. 
But this is definitely a great time to check that and reevaluate for each one of us how we can commit to forming new habits of grace. If you'd like more information about David or his book, we'll have all that up on our episode page on our website, and you can find everything there. And if you want to follow along with David on Twitter, you can follow him at David C. Mathis. So I hope you check back in with us next week for a new episode of In Doubt, where Daniel has the chance to talk with biblical scholar, author, and international speaker Preston Sprinkle, asking the question, how do I talk to my gay neighbor? Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 